He's got connections. From actors and athletes to comedians and world-class musicians. Andy Hall. His contact list is jam-packed with some of the most recognizable names in entertainment. Andy Hall's giving Laser Hellraisers his plus one. An exclusive conversation you won't hear anywhere else. On today's edition of Hall Access. It's amazing. For the amount of time I've been doing this for a living, and the amount of insanely talented people I've talked to over the course of this career, that I've never once crossed paths with the great Joe Bonamassa. That changes today as Joe joins me on the Laser Hotline. How are you, man? Sorry I'm late. I had was on an interview that just I couldn't get off the phone. It was just it was just like, dude, I have to go. Yeah, I, I get it. Hey man, sometimes these things happen and it's a huge compliment to the person who's talking to you, obviously. <laughs> I, I just like I'm like, listen, man, I, we could be Cisco and Ebert all day. But like, you know, Matt. You know, like, I got to roll. I love it. I love it. Well, you know what? Like I said, hey, I know that there are just as many terrible radio interviews that you're asked to do on a daily basis. So when a good one comes along and there's a good flow going there, I, I know you hate to cut it off, but sometimes you just got to do what you got to do. Yeah, exactly. Got to, you know. Ride the wave, but, you know, no, no one to shut it down. That's right. No apology necessary, Joe. It's great to have you, man. How are you? I'm doing good. We're excited to have you back in town November 13, playing the Des Moines Civic Center in support of Time Clocks, which is a, a title and a concept I find absolutely fascinating in light of everything we've endured as a people over the past two and a half years. How did the pandemic change how you navigate life and the hours, minutes, and seconds we're given every day, Joe? Well, you know, I mean... You know, this, this whole notion of, of time going quicker, because, you know, when you're in your 20s and you talk to your mentors or people that are older than you, you go, just, just wait till you turn 40. Years feel like months. Days feel like minutes. And I'm like, and you just, you know, you just go, oh, okay, okay. You know, is it just an old man yelling at a cloud or, is <laughs> it, you know, is that actually true? <laughs> and I'm telling you unequivocally, it is true. You know, you blink an eye, a decade goes by. A blink an eye, five years. I mean, you know, we, we you know, just, we're just coming out of this thing, you know, from 2020. Two years just seem to, like, just disappear into the ether, you know? And th- I wrote this song, Time Clock, right before the world shut down, based on my experience as a 42-year-old at the time, just going, wow, like, if I don't pull back the reins and enjoy what I'm being able to do here, I'm going to blink an eye and be 50. I'm going to blink an eye and be 60 and blink an eye and be 70. And that's it. And they'll just wheel me out on stage. And, um, for, you know, the umpteenth version of the ballad of John Henry and I'll go home. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I need to, I need to like smell the roses. So that, that's, that's what the whole thing was about. I mean, I didn't realize that it was being a bit of a Nostradamus type, but kind of forecasting this shutdown or whatever I, we didn't even think about it. Like, who would? But um, that's that's basically what the album is about. Yeah, and I think that's one of the reasons, Joe, why people my age, and I, you and I are very close in age, by the way, I identify with that concept because I think in the days leading up to that pandemic and everything that happened, my thought was, I'm in my 40s now, and I got to find a way to slow things down because it's going way too fast. And though the pandemic gave us that pause that I think I was looking for, this isn't exactly how I envisioned it, but that's just how life goes. Yeah, I mean, watching bloopers on YouTube in your pajamas on a Wednesday afternoon isn't exactly my idea of living life to the fullest, mm. you know? I mean, yeah. It was, it, it was just, you know, like, you're like, wait a minute, you know, it's like, because, you know, I've been on tour my whole life, and the notion of 
blank spots on a calendar, I just didn't even com- compute to me. So that was a brick wall. That was a huge brick wall for, for I, I know, I know, I know a lot of musicians who are, who are you know, died in the wolf, you know, uh, road dogs that, what do you mean there's no gigs? Like, just couldn't even comprehend that, hmm. you know? So it, it, it took a minute. Well, I bet it's been a lot of fun getting out and playing some of this new material to venues at full capacity again. There was that period of time. I'm not sure anyone was certain we'd ever get back to that level of normalcy, but here we are. It's great. You know, we can go back full capacity. And, and, and you know, the mo- most important thing I've noticed in the last, I'd say, eight months uh, since we went back. Well, we, we started last summer, but, but we went back full capacity the fall of last year. We went to Europe this year. And... Um, what I've noticed was it, people's interactions are getting back to pre-2020. You know, because before, you know, like like in 2021, I was like, are we shaking hands? Are we elbow bumping? Are we, uh, you know, what is this? You know what I mean? It was like the social interaction of of everybody keeping their distance. was It just was weird. Now everybody's just, now everybody's just okay, whatever, you know? <laughs> and that's cool. You know, it feels more normal, especially at shows, you know, where it's, where it's not like this, like, Okay, you got to put four people here, two people here, you know, thirteen feet from 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 this group. You got to put that. I mean, it, it, it got to the point where you're just like, if this wasn't so funny, it would be sad. You, you know, I mean, it's like the 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 rationale for doing it was just kind of weird. Yeah, I hear you. And it's really tough, too, in a situation like that where there's a real energy transfer between what you're doing up on stage out to an audience and then what they feed back to you as well. It's probably pretty tough to feed on that like you normally would. Yeah, and, you know, especially when you're doing 25% capacity, mm. you know, you yeah. know, like this, this, you look out there and, you know, some, some you know, the venue manager is like, well, it's sold out tonight. And you look out and it's like 25% of the people. I'm like, <laughs> this is the stuff of nightmares, man. I have nightmares about these kind of gigs, you know? Yep. <laughs> yeah. But, but, it, but it, it's all good. It's, we're, you know, we're back to, it's back to normal. And, and uh, I'm excited about coming back to Des Moines. It's been a minute. It has been. Yeah, we're looking forward to having you. Hey, does the live show affect how you approach the creative process at all? Like, are you ever thinking about how something more complex might not be able to be translated to the stage while you're coming up with new song ideas? 100%. I mean, I I try to write songs that I know can be easily, well, not easily, but 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 pretty much adapted by the AP fan. You know what I mean? I write them with that in mind. You know, it's like I write them for a second guitar, you know, keyboards, uh, background vocals, bass drums, you know. And and if you if you do it like that, you know it. You know, playing your your brand new record for fans, it, it, it's a lot more fun and easy than if you have to go. Oh, geez, why did we put this orchestra on our? <laughs> well, you know? I, I mean, the possibilities are endless in a studio, which I suppose is 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 pretty exciting on one hand. But yeah, if you're looking to translate these to the live show, I imagine that can uh, cause you more headaches if you're uh, if you're going really complex with it. Yeah, we pinned ourselves into a bit of a corner on time blocks, but. Um, we ended up doing it. We we did we worked the whole record out over the summer and did a DVD of it in its entirety. And um, at first it was kind of daunting. It's like, oh my god, it's like there's a lot of moving parts here. But you know, we pulled it off. And and honestly, those songs became superstars and people loved them. You know, and and so we're we're gonna we're just gonna keep doing this kind of theme show throughout the fall. And 
people really like it. The legendary Joe Bonamassa is my special guest. He's in town November 13 at the Des Moines Civic Center. Tickets are available now through DesMoinesPerformingArts.org. You have an incredible collection of guitars, all shapes and sizes, makes and models, different hardware. These instruments are really works of art, and no two are exactly the same. So how do you decide what will work best for the recording of songs, and do you typically try to match those with the guitars you play on stage? Yes, and and the, the songs, uh, you know, the guitars that I bring on stage, uh, bring for tour pretty much are ones that I probably used in the studio. I have I have the tool kit that I, I I have, and then I have about another 450 guitars that I've collected over the years. And you know, a lot of my collection, I'd say 90% of my collection, are extremely well preserved models from the mid 50s to about 1963. Mm. Fender Gibson solid body, and you know, the historical value outweighs the necessity of bringing them on the road. So the ones I bring on the road, they're still old guitars, but but they're you know they they have they have dings and scratches. And they look more age appropriate. You know, like the, some of the ones I collect, literally like they look like they were made yesterday, but they're seventy years old. So God, so crazy. Have you ever <laughs> thought about doing like a traveling museum with some of your uh, some of your guitars? It'd be cool to for them to see the light of day. I'm sure, and I'm sure fans would love to see what you have. Yeah, I mean, there's. There was talk. I mean, there's talk about doing a book, and you know, there's, you know, I, I'm just, you know, I don't want my collection to be my job, you know, because it's really my hobby. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean, I I have the biggest Fender amp collection in the world. I know that, and and, and it's like I I shouldn't it shouldn't be something I brag about. It should be something that. I, probably been committed to Betty Ford by now but <laughs> you know you know to me it's like you know I know I'm just a custodian of these things until someone else you know I mean I can't really gonna do bury me with this stuff I mean it's got to go somewhere and um so I made a conscious decision to pretty you know pretty much slow up the acquisitions side of the collection because it's just at a certain point, you go, what am I proving? I'm proving nothing to anyone, especially to myself. I'm proving that I'm an addict, not, you know, and I'm a really good addict to boot. Yeah. Did that start out, the collecting, did that start out as like, hey, I, you know, the one thing I'm missing in my uh, portfolio is, you know, this single coil sound or that humbucker sound, or is that sort of how it started? Well, you, the, the addiction starts when you're a kid and all you want to do is read, um, you know, the Tom Wheeler guitar, you know, guitar book or Rick Nielsen's, you know, book where he had all the vintage guitars in there. Yeah. And, you just, there and you go, oh, my God, I want a 1950s Strat like, you know, Eric Clapton or I want a 1959 Les Paul like Jimmy Page. And that that's where the addiction starts. Then it becomes, oh, okay, I have a little extra money. Oh, I finally got this. I finally got that. And then, then you, there's a point where you hit the apex curve and then it's just like, Stuff is just coming your way um, on, a, on an hourly basis, you know, and really nice stuff and original owner stuff because they, they know that the guitar they've held for 60 years, they want it to go to a good home. And I, I get calls like that twice a week going, hey, I have this guitar with my grandfather's. Really like it to end up in your collection because I know you're going to give it a good home. So, wow. And you know, if we can make a deal, great. If not, it's you know, it's not like I need anything. I don't need anything. Right. I hear. You know, it's kind of almost. I think George Carlin did a bit like this in the in the past at some point about stuff. stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> 
everybody's got their stuff, right? Oh, that's funny. You've been a part of some incredible collaborations over the course of your career, Joe. Some of them with artists you consider heroes. And it seems to me you don't buy into the old adage that warns you to never meet your heroes. You've had some really good fortune with those people. I, you know, I mean, a lot of, you know, I learned early on with my, my experience and friendship with D.B. King that the more talented, my, you know, people that, that I, I met, the ones that were like, oh, my God, it's an icon, D.B. King, or that's Eric Clapton, or that's, you know, Paul Rogers, or whoever. The more I started to be able to fraternize with those kind of folks, the, 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 the lesson I learned is like, well, they're, they're, so, they're so calm, and there's no ego. They just, they just know they have a special skill set, and they, and, they, and they just do it. And they tend to be the nicest, most down-to-earth people. The, the ones that I have met that were less than, let's say, cordial are, are the ones that are not the iconic ones, the ones that have the chip on their shoulder about what they didn't get or, you know, they, they want to be, they feel like they should be on the Mount Rushmore of, uh, of, of, you know, rock stars and they didn't get there. And it's like, well, just be happy with what you got. We, we all make music for a living. It's like, what a, what a privilege this is. You yeah, know? no kidding. I really like the albums you've done with Beth Hart. I think she's incredible, uh, absolutely incredible. Are there any plans to do more music with her in the future? We don't have anything on the books right now. Um, she's off doing her thing. And, um, you know, I mean, we kind of exhausted the that kind of record. We did four records of, of cover material. And I think we kind of exhausted that that kind of record. So unless we come up with something different where it, it's new and fresh and not just, you know, oh, here's another loose to cover that we could do, you know, um, I think it would be, you know, if we ever work together again, it would, it would be advantageous for us to kind of reconceptualize what we do. Sure. You know? Sure. Uh, so, but she is great and, and, and undoubtedly one of, the, one of the premier singers of a generation. How about Black Country Communion? You and the guys have left the door open to possibly making more albums, right? We just we, we, have, a, we have quite the group chat going right now. So um, we're going to start. We're gonna, Glenn and I are going to start working on writing some songs. And we're just going to get together in next, this, this, well, is it October yet? It's next month. Um, and we're going to just start and, and we're going to see if we can get everybody's schedule lined up for next year and do another record. Cause I, I really, you know, I really miss those guys. And, and when we fire on all cylinders, there's, there's nothing better. What is it about the band situation that works for you as a guy who typically works as a solo artist? I would think that for most, that would be a difficult transition. I, I like nothing more than to be a member of a band in, 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 uh, playing guitar. You know, I don't have to front it. I don't have to sing all the time. Mm-hmm. And and it, it's a it's a lot less pressure than being the front person, you know. Being the person in front is a is a special skill set, you know. It's a you you have to be an entertainer. You have to enter. You can't just sit up there and stare at your guitar and and go, wow, look, you know, I can play guitar pretty good. It's, that's not gonna that's not gonna fill the the theater. You have to put on a show, and to put on a show requires being an enter, you know, an entertainer, and and. You know, so being in a band, you're part of this thing that the sum of its parts is greater than a, than than the than, than the, the single entity. So you know, it's like this this this, this thing where you know Glenn and I co-front Black Country Communion. It, it's like you know I can just sit back and play rhythm guitar and watch him do his thing. He's a legend, you know. Mm. And then you know, conversely, Glenn doesn't have to sing all night. I'll sing three or four, and you know, so we we kind of spread out the whole 
you know, the workload a little bit. One last thing I want to ask uh, of you, Joe, and I appreciate you taking the time for me today, man. This has been great. Yeah, no worries. The uh, Guitar Man film, uh, in case anybody's looking to get, like, the absolute all-encompassing story of one Joe Bonamassa, I suggest this to everybody I know, not just even guitar people, but it's a really great story. I guess the one question I want to ask you here is, if that ever became like a biopic, who would play Joe Bonamassa? Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. I don't know. Um, I think uh, it would be great if, like, Harry Shearer played Joe Bonamassa. Oh, my God. It would just be the, the, the best, the best, it would be so out that it, you know. <laughs> uh, he is one of the funniest people I've ever met in my entire life. Funny guy, really nice guy, too. I interviewed him for my podcast, and, you know, I mean, just, just taking the Spinal Tap and all the all the all those great Christopher Guest movies uh, off the table, I mean, just the voices on The Simpsons alone, it's just, it's just legendary. Yeah. I had a chance to interview him, but not as Harry Shearer. I, <laughs> I had a chance to uh, to interview him as uh, Derek Smalls, which was interesting. In character. Yes. <laughs> Talk about a highlight, right? Like a chance yeah. to actually get somebody in their character like that was very cool. So. Yeah. Joe, we're looking forward to having you in town. November 13 at the Des Moines Civic Center. We love the new album, Time Clocks, and uh, glad everything's going great in your world right now, man. Thanks, Matt. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Absolutely. You're welcome back anytime. We'll see you soon. All right. Cheers, dude. Thanks, Thanks Joe.